morning, everybody. Good to have you all here this morning. So we are in the middle of a series on Philippians, right? Pastor Bill led us last week in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Today we're going to jump back uh, one verse. I'm going to start in chapter, 10, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, and then we're going to work our way to the end of the chapter. But before we get into that, I'd like to give you a little bit of background in case some of you are new here this morning or maybe you haven't been here for, for the majority of this sermon series. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, about the history of this letter just for a minute. All right? So Paul is writing this letter, all right? and he's writing it to the church at Philippi. And uh, as he writes it, he is under a, a, like a Roman house arrest. All right? So he's in room. Or I should say he's in Rome, and he is uh, confined to a house that he's renting. All right? He doesn't really have his freedom, uh, but he can still talk to people about Jesus as they come visit him. All right? But he's not really free to leave the house. So he's a prison there in Rome, and he's writing it to a church that he started about 10 years earlier. And uh, this letter he's writing is really kind of unique compared to the other letters that we have written by Paul in the New Testament because this one's like a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. They had sent him some financial gifts and he's, and he's writing to say thank you for this gift. He also uses this opportunity to encourage them and to spur them on to, to live the Christian life. All right. Some of his other letters, most of his other letters, was more of an uh, opportunity for Paul to correct or, or to rebuke someone in the church or a church or to give them theological training of some kind or to address some kind of sin that's going on. But that's not the case with this letter. This is more of a letter between friends, okay? Now, okay, so like having known that, before we get into, this, into these verses, I want to draw your attention to something I have up here today. I have a pair of binoculars. I feel uh, very confident in saying that everyone in this room at some point in your life has probably looked through a pair of binoculars. Okay, so what do binoculars do? This is what they do. They make something that is a long ways away appear close, right? So that you can see the detail on something that you want to look at. All right, so for instance, a person that's into bird watching would maybe take binoculars with them. And if they see a bird out in the forest or on a tree or something, right, they look up at it. They, they fix their lens on that bird so that they can see the feathers, the colors, whatever, right? If you're, if you're a bird watcher, I, I think you probably do this. I have, I've never gotten bird watching in my life, but I'm guessing that's what they do, right? <laughs> and so uh, that's, what, that's what binoculars do, is they bring something close so that you can see the detail of it, right? Now, they also do something else that's kind of a, a side effect, right? As you bring something close in this pair of binoculars, the other thing it does is it gets rid of everything on the outside. Like it gets rid of everything on the periphery, right? So that you don't see anything else. Your attention is focused purely on what you're looking at. You can't see other things around you that you can see when you normally are, are looking in a direction, right? This is what I want to do this morning. I want to have us um, have these binoculars represent our Christian faith. These binoculars 
All right, so this morning, these binoculars represent your Christian faith, and we're going to pretend, and we're going to pretend you all have your own sub-binoculars. All right, so I have a question as we get started this morning. Where is the lens of your Christian faith focused? Where is the lens of your Christian faith focused? What is it focused on? Some people have the lens of their Christian faith focused on peace and rest, right? An emotional or a mental peace and rest. Maybe there's a lot of turbulence in their life, and they, and they reach out to Christianity to provide for them peace or rest in, in a certain situation. Some people have the lens of their Christian faith focused on success, right? They want success in their job. They want success in a relationship. They want some success in, a, in some kind of personal endeavor. So they, so they reach out to Christianity to help, help them have success. Some people have the lens of their Christian faith focused on victory, right? There's a, uh, uh, a struggle they're going through. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's something uh, to do with their lifestyle or something going on in their life, and they need victory over this problem, this struggle that they have. So they reach out to Christianity, right, and they want victory. Some people have the lens of their Christian faith focused on eternity. And by that I mean uh, they don't want to go to hell, right? And so they know, right? Okay, if Christianity can save me from hell, an eternal separation from God, then, then I want Christianity. Right? There's a lot of different things a person can have the lens of their Christian faith focused on. This morning, as we look at these verses in Philippians chapter 3, we're going to see where Paul had the lens of his Christian faith focused. I feel confident in saying this to you right now, that if the lens of your Christian faith is focused Anywhere else besides what we're going to see here this morning, if it's on one of these other things or anything I didn't even mention besides what we're going to see this morning, then at best, your Christian walk is struggling and weak at best. And at worst, your Christian walk is really non-existent, right? In that case, it's not really Christianity. It's more of a self-serving religion that masquerades as Christianity much of the time. At best, your Christian faith would be struggling, weak, and at worst, it's really not Christianity at all. So we're going to see what God teaches us this morning as we go through these verses to find out where the lens of our Christian faith should be focused because that's, that's what God wants, right? I mean, he wants us focused in on what is most important. And we're going to find out what that is this morning. I'm going to start reading in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 10. I ask that you follow along. I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. It says, 
I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Wow. Man, packed full. Packed full of important truths for us as Christ followers to know. I want us to go back up to verse 10. So we're going to see where the lens of, of Paul's Christian faith is focused. What else we're going to see here this morning is how it changed Paul. Okay? I'm going to point out three areas that we see here in these verses where Paul was changed. But if you study the rest of this chapter and if you study other letters that were written by Paul in the New Testament, there are a lot of ways Paul was changed. All right, but we're going to focus on three of them. Here, verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in, in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Those first five words that I read, five words, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That is the key phrase in this entire chapter. Everything else in this chapter revolves around that phrase, I want to know Christ. And that is squarely and directly where Paul's focus of his Christian faith is right there, knowing Christ. And that type of know that he's talking about there isn't an informational know, right? He's not saying, I want to know that Jesus is God's son. I want to know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Yes, he knows that, but he's talking about a much deeper knowledge than just that. In fact, this word, in the Greek, if it's translated to the Hebrew language, describes knowing between a man and a woman, right? Between a husband and a wife. It's talking about an a intimate, physical, and emotional knowledge of each other. Now, Paul's not saying that that's the type of knowledge he's, he's after for Christ, right? Obviously not. But he's saying that's the depth. That's the depth of knowing Jesus Christ that he wants, that he desires. Right? 
to know Jesus Christ that way. So, as I said, as I said a moment ago, as he becomes to know Christ that way, it's, it's going to change him. It changes who he is. It will change us as followers of Christ. If our desire is to know Christ that deeply, it's going to change us. It, it, the power of Christ will fill us up. It can't help but change us. Let's keep reading. So the first way that we see in these verses that it changes Paul is in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Let's keep reading. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Go back to verse 13, the second half of that verse. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Paul, when he uses that phrase, he's not saying that he like literally, physically forgets his past. That's impossible, right? People can't do that. Unless a person's become senile or they've experienced brain trauma, they can't forget their past. Right? You just can't do it. What Paul is saying is the past will no longer influence him. The past is not going to influence his life that day or in the future. It's in the past. It's something we know about Paul. We know a lot of things about Paul because he wrote so much of the Bible. But something we know about Paul was that his past was full of success. Right? 28 years before he wrote this letter, he met Christ on a road to Damascus. And after that point, he gave his life to Christ, and Jesus sent him throughout the known world, serving him. And he did all kinds of stuff. I mean, he, was, he, he did all kinds of stuff. Some of the things he did. First off, he led a lot of people to Jesus Christ. He started a lot of churches. He mentored people. He discipled people. He performed a lot of miracles. Right? He baptized a lot of people. He corrected and, and encouraged a lot of people. He taught a lot of theology. I mean, he did a lot of stuff for the kingdom of God. And Paul now, as he's sitting in this, in this house prison, it would be very easy, very easy. I would think, from my human earthly perspective, it would be very easy for Paul to have said, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. It's been a long 28 years. I think I'm going to find a beach somewhere. Cook some s'mores. Buy a straw hat. Kick back. Relax. Let someone else do the heavy lifting. Let someone else carry the load. It's time for someone else. I mean, I, I would think that would have been very easy for Paul, right? After thinking about all of his success and all he's done, right, to say, ah, I think I'm done. Whew. Let someone else do it, right? Friends, there are, there are people here at Great Oaks Community Church, quite a few of them, who have been Christ followers for a very long time, a long time, right? I mean, decades, and you serve faithfully, and you serve well at Great Oaks, at other churches, in your communities, wherever. 
And there's people here at Great Oaks who, who've been here since the day the doors opened the first time. Right? And those people have served well. Right? They've, they've, they've worked hard. And it would be very easy for some of these people who have been successful in their service to Jesus Christ to say, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Let someone else hold the babies. Let someone else pass out the bulletins. Let someone else make the coffee. Lead the small group. Be a part of the special events. Let someone else do it. I'm done. Right? I'm tired. I've served well. I've done my part. Whew. Time to go find a beach somewhere. Right? That would be easy. What I'm not saying is that you can't try something else. Right? I mean, just keep serving God. Change your role, that's fine. Try something else, great, whatever. Right? But never get to the point in your life where you look at your success and the way you successfully serve Christ and say, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. Let someone else, let someone else carry the load. Right? No. Paul, as he kept his Christian, or the, the lens of his Christian faith focused on knowing Christ, Christ built up that continued passion and that burden and that enthusiasm and that desire to continue to serve him. And he was able to write this and say, I forget my past. All those successes, they're in the past. I'm going to push on. I'm going to press on. I'm going to strive ahead. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to work for the cause of Jesus Christ and to bring glory to his name. What's in the past is forgotten. Keep working. I'm going to encourage you today, some of you long timers. Keep working. As you continue to keep the faith, the, the lens of your Christian faith focused on knowing Jesus, he will continue to build that passion and that burden and that enthusiasm for service to God. Again, maybe it's a different role. I don't know. But I'm saying continue to build the kingdom of God. Now I want to take a different perspective. Okay. That phrase, Forgetting what is behind is interesting because if we rewind the clock of Paul's life just a few years earlier, right? 29, 30, 31 years prior to his uh, writing this letter to the church of Philippi, we know what Paul was. He was an evil man. He was a hate-filled man. I mean, he hated Jesus Christ. He hated Christ's followers. He spent his life traveling throughout the Roman Empire, hunting down Christians to persecute them and put them in jail. That's what he did, right? There's a story in Acts chapter 7 where Paul is supervising this mob of men. And they're picking up stones. And they're throwing them at one of Christ's followers named Stephen. And they're throwing him at him to kill him. And Paul's standing there the whole time, nodding his head giving approval, probably thinking to himself, stick it to him, stick it to him, right? And they kill Stephen with these stones, and Paul's there leading this, supervising this mob. I don't care how you look at it. That's evil. That's wicked. And that was Paul, so full of hate and evil. Right? So we can look at this phrase, forgetting what is behind, and say, yes, he had a lot of success, but man, look at his failures. 
Look at his sinful past. Paul could have started out saying, man, Christ, I can't serve you. Look what I've been. Friends, I probably in a group this size, there are people who came to church here this morning at Great Oaks Community Church, and that was a challenge. That was hard. Because on your way in, you start, you start getting these thoughts, lies from the father of lies. And he starts whispering in your ear, oh, why are you wasting your time? Those people don't love you. Look who you are. Look at your past. You can't amount to anything. God can't forgive you. Look what you are. Don't you remember that time back then? That's beyond. That's beyond God. Christ can't fix the mess of your life. And they certainly don't want you at Great Oaks. They won't accept you. If they knew who you really are, they won't accept you. Your flaws are too big. And they don't want you serving. You can't serve God. Look at, look at who you were. Lies, friends. Lies from the father of lies. Paul, when he met Christ... If you read the book of Romans, it's clear. He understood. Christ died for his sins. And all of his sins were forgiven. Even the deepest, darkest, ugliest day of his days of persecuting Christians, forgiven. He's forgot the past. His successes and his failures, gone. Friends, if you're here this morning, and if you've come to the point in your life where you understand that God loves you so much that he gave his son, his perfect son, to die on the cross so your sins can be forgiven. And you've accepted that forgiveness and made him your Lord. Then all your sins are gone. They're all gone. There's no past that should keep you from serving God wherever he's put you. It's gone. It would be easy to look back, either look at your successes or to look at your failures and look at your sins and say, oh, God, you can't use me. I'm done. I'm retiring. I'm useless. Whatever the case may be. Uh -uh. As Paul focused the lens of his Christian faith on knowing Jesus, God allowed Paul to forget his past. Again, not literally, but it did not influence him any longer his successes or his failures in the past. Friends, as we commit ourselves to knowing Christ more deeply every day, he will help us forget our past. Whether your past is full of success or fulfilled of failure or full of bad choices or whatever it may be, it's in the past. He's got something great he wants you a part of. Building his kingdom on earth as you focus the lens of your Christian faith on knowing Jesus, he's going to fill you with that passion and that enthusiasm to keep serving. Be a part of what he's doing. That's point number one. Let's go on to point number two. It is in verse, well, we're going to start in verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have used, uh, just as you have us as a model Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What's Paul doing? As he's writing these words, as he's writing these words, what's he doing? He tells us there what he's doing. He's crying. Right? He says, I even now, he says, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. He's crying. He's got a broken heart. As he's thinking about the enemies of the cross of Christ. I find it very interesting how Paul describes the enemies of the cross of Christ. Because if you were to ask me, Dan, describe what an enemy of the cross of Christ is. Well, I would probably like immediately go to certain people or people groups who are adamantly against Jesus Christ, his followers, or his teachings, right? That's, that's where I would naturally go, as an enemy of the cross of Christ. But he tells us what an enemy of the cross of Christ is here. Uh, it's very interesting. Verse, 13, verse 19, it says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. What's he talking about? Right? I hope he's not talking about people who like to eat, because then I'm an enemy of the cross of Christ, and I don't want that to be the case. Right? The God is their stomach. No, that's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about are the people who wake up every day. And as their desire, their purpose in their life is to fulfill their fleshly desires, their, their carnal passions, right? Self-indulgent people who get up each day to fulfill their own lust, their own desires, and themselves, that's the people who have their stomach as their God. Self-indulgent people. After I thought about it, that makes perfect sense. Because if you think about Jesus Christ, he was the exact opposite of that. Let's think about Jesus, okay? This is what Jesus did. First off, Jesus denied himself of all the pleasures in heaven. And he became a man on a sinful earth. He didn't just become a man and choose to come into a wealthy family with all the luxuries of life. He came into a very humble family. He was born in a stable. As he grew up, he was eventually kicked out of his own town. They didn't even want him there anymore. He tells us he didn't even have a place to lay his head at nighttime. Right? And then, in his time, his, his darkest hour, when he needed his friends the most, they left him. They weren't even around. And then he gave up his own earthly desire to live life, and he split his arms out on a cross, denied himself, and he died for the sins of mankind. Everything Jesus did, the way he lived his life, was denying himself. So as I thought about that, I think, why? Yeah. I guess an enemy of the cross of Christ would be people who are constantly trying to fulfill their own passions and lusts and desires in this world. Right? And as Paul writes this and he's thinking about those people, he starts crying. It's just, he starts crying. His heart is broken for these people. As Paul focuses the lens of his Christian faith directly on knowing Christ more deeply, his heart becomes broken. 
broken for people who have yet to develop a personal relationship with Christ. Friends, it is easy for me to have a broken heart for people that I know and love who don't know Jesus Christ. That's easy, right? I mean, I mean my heart breaks when I consider their eternity and not only their eternity, but what they're missing out on in this world. And my heart breaks for them. But I confess, it is sometimes a real struggle for me to have broken hearts, for me to have a broken heart towards people who are opposed to me as a Christ follower or to Christians in general. Right? That's hard for me to, to have that broken heart sometimes, right? And I look forward as I continue to deepen my walk with Jesus Christ, as I keep the focus of my Christian faith right there on knowing Christ more deeply, as he's going to continue to put into me uh, his spirit and to help me become broken when I think about those people whose choices may be so terrible, right? And their motives may be so evil, but to still have my heart broken for them because of their eternal destiny and the hatred that they're filled with, right? As I continue to keep my focus on knowing Christ, I fully believe he's going to continue to grow that brokenness in my heart. He did it with Paul. I believe he wants that for all of his followers to have that brokenness for people who are separated from him. Point number one this morning. As we develop a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and we keep the lens of our Christian faith focused on knowing Christ, one, he's going to cause us to forget our past. Two, he's going to develop a brokenness in his heart or a brokenness in our heart for people who are separated from him. And let's look at the third one. We're going to keep reading there. Uh, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Go back up to the top of verse 20 or uh, the middle of verse 20, it says, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about that. Here's Paul. All right. He says he is eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus Christ to earth. He's eagerly awaiting that day. As we fix the lens of our Christian faith, focus squarely on knowing Jesus, he's going to develop that passion. There should be nothing scary or fearful about the return of Christ in our, in, into this world. We should look forward to it, excited about it, right? The fact that we know our Lord and Savior is returning to earth someday, right? This past week, I was looking at some stuff, reading some news or whatever, you know, and I was looking at our world, and I was kind of, as I was thinking about our world, I was like, ugh, ugh, right? And then I thought, but you know what? I got a Savior. My Lord Jesus is going to return to this world, and he's going to call me home and just turn my attitude around. It's like, Dan, don't get down. Rejoice in the fact that you know your Savior is coming back for you. Man, awesome. Praise the Lord. 
What that does is it makes me want to continue to work for his kingdom and for his glory. I'm going to illustrate it to you like this. So every fall, I say most falls, probably, I think almost every fall now, my, all right, so my wife Leanne and my daughter Kayla go to a mother-daughter retreat up at Miracle Camp. And they have a great time, right? They leave Friday around noon and they get back Sunday evening sometime. All right, so they go up there and they have all this kind of fun. Well, me and Josiah, we're like, well, we're going to have fun too, right? So we stay home and we have all kinds of fun. We go out to eat. We watch football. We play games. We build stuff. We do whatever we want for two days. It's awesome, right? It's a blast, right? But the appearance of our house goes through somewhat of a transformation during those two days, all right? The beds don't get made. The laundry doesn't get done. It only doesn't get done. The laundry usually doesn't make it into the basket, all right? Toys are spread out everywhere. Dishes are piling up. The floor is not vacuumed, right? But we're having fun. I guarantee you we're having fun, right? Okay, so we're having all this fun. And then Sunday, early afternoon, I get a text from Leanne every year. Hey, had a great time. Going to be home in a few hours. Well, things change then. <laughs> Me and Josiah know it's time to get busy. It's time to get working, right? We start picking up toys. We start the laundry. We wash the dishes. We vacuum the floors. We clean up the house. We get things in order. And I do that for a couple of reasons. One, because I know that my wife, Leanne, has just had a great time with her daughter and, and enjoying this worship of Jesus and all this fun and this close time. She's enjoyed all this time. The last thing she wants when she gets home is that in that, coming into a house that's all out of order. She doesn't want that, right? So I clean up my house because I know she doesn't want that, right? She wants a clean house when she gets home. But I do it for another reason, because I love her. And this is a way, of sh this is a way for me to show her that I love her and that I respect her, and I want her to come home to something that she will enjoy. So I get the house in order. Right? I start working towards that because I know she's coming back. Friends, have you allowed the thought of the return of Christ to spur you on to more work? But work with the motive of pleasing your Lord so that when he comes back, your house is in order. Things are ready for him, right? Because you love him and you respect him and you adore him and you want to please him, right? Do you get excited about Christ returning to earth? Like, wow, friends, I mean, that is, that is the pinnacle of our faith, right? I mean, that, it doesn't get better than that. Christ coming back for his people, Wow. Take joy in that. Enjoy that. There should be no fear about that. that. That is a joy. That's something we get to look forward to as Christ followers. And as you focus the lens of your Christian faith squarely on knowing Jesus Christ, he's going to develop that passion and that enthusiasm so that you can say, I eagerly await the return of Christ. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. Friends, my desire here this morning is to help us refocus. Perhaps some of you here today, you've got your lens on something else. 
You call yourself a Christian. You look like a Christian on the outside. But you might well know inside the focus of your faith is not on knowing Jesus. It's on something else. And it may even be spiritual. But it's not on knowing Jesus. That should be the... That should be where the lens of our Christian faith is focused, knowing Jesus more deeply every day. I want that for myself. I want that for you. I know God wants that for us. Right? If you're here this morning, and maybe God's talking to you, and he's saying, you know where your lens is focused, and it's, and it, and it's not on my son Jesus Christ. Today's the day. Get it back in focus. And maybe some of you here today, you have not come to that point where you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray and I hope deeply that, that this is the day where you've come to understand, man, God loves me so much that he died on the cross for my sins. And that you begin your walk with Jesus today. If that's your day today, as the worship team comes out right now and they get ready to play, I want you if you hear God speaking to you, to give your life to him. Confess your sins to him. Just tell him you're a sinner. He knows it already. Ask for his forgiveness through the son of Jesus Christ. I'm going to let the band play. Think about these things. As, as soon as they're done praying, I'm going to come back up and I'll close this in prayer. Let's go and stand up together.